You're listening to The Central Cast, recorded each week in front of a live audience in Glendale, California. Well, uh, first, just want to thank Aaron for having me come out and, and be a part of this. Beautiful this morning. That was awesome. And I don't know why you don't have an album or something. Or maybe you do, and I want it. So um, I was on the plane coming here, and I, this gentleman from Australia sat down next to me, and he was like, uh, so, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a traveler, world traveler. I talk a lot, so if I talk too much, I'm sorry. And I was like, it's okay, I'm a pastor. I talk a lot too. And then he just went, stop talking. I was like, oh, you got me beat. <laughs> Literally like an hour and 45 minutes of him talking, mostly. It was beautiful, though. Excited to be with you um, as you guys are going through this series and opening up uh, the door for the community to say, I want to know a little bit more about what's going on here. The fact that you are meeting here on a Sunday and are a part of something bigger than yourself says a lot about your heart. And so I'm thankful to be a part of that. We pray with me this morning. God, I thank you for your presence and how you are good and unfailing, and that you come into the places of our lives and you breathe life and hope. I thank you for this space. I ask that it would continue to grow and blossom and people's lives would be changed here and loved here. I thank you for this morning, more of you and less of me. In your name, amen. So I want to talk to you about the steps that got me here. I'm, I'm black and gay, lesbian, and married which, to an awesome woman. Um, but there's steps that took me to where I'm at. I didn't just become like a lead pastor of a church somewhere. I didn't like jump into that all excited. <laughs> okay. So when I was a child, uh, I, you know, identified more with He-Man than She-Ra. And I, uh, I had this obsession with Popeye, right? So like my mom, she cooked the spinach and you know, kids don't like spinach, but I was like, I'm eating that spinach. Cause I'm gonna be strong, right? So step one was my childhood. I would eat the spinach, I'd go in the living room and I'd lift up the sofa and be like, mom, I'm getting stronger, right? She'd come in and I, she was just like, yeah. And through elementary years, I think my mom was oblivious because she was still like knitting me dresses and stuff and I was just like jumping off of things like using like my towel for like a cape. Like I was wild. Um, I would, I remember my mom would put those beads in my hair. I'd go out to the bus stop and I'd be like pulling them out. Like what are you doing to me? That was step one. Step two was middle school and I uh, played softball. Let's just go ahead and cut it to step three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Step three, in high school, I still played softball. I had a boyfriend uh, named Jose, but he was my best friend, actually. I remember my friends would be like, Aaron, I know what y'all doing late at night when you over there. And I'm thinking, yeah, we're on level seven, okay? Because we're playing video games and eating Doritos. <laughs> and everyone else was like, oh, no, I know what you're doing. 
And I finally I was like, oh yeah, that's what we're doing. And we're just sitting there just going in like on some Mountain Dew and Doritos. And I don't know why he never caught wind. <laughs> I remember my youth group specifically when Ellen came out uh, take tackling the topic. It was like the first time I actually heard the topic about homosexuality and the sin of it and that people that were gay are going to hell and all these things. I remember I was sitting uh, in the chair just frozen like going back into my mind like what am I? I uh, had this best friend who played softball with me. She had her appendix taken out and I thought oh my goodness that's like life or death. I must do something for her. So like I made this strawberry cake because it was her favorite, right? And I made it homemade, like, oh no, she's good enough for the homemade kind. <laughs> like, ain't gonna be no Duncan Hines up in here. I'm going to the French bookstore and getting a recipe for this girl. I never did anything like that for Jose. I remember making it in the kitchen. I'm like, I gotta bring this cake to her. I had no driver's license or a car or nothing. So I said, well, I guess I'm walking. I walked this cake for five miles to her door. <laughs> I'm in high school. This is my best friend. Really, it was like super crush. I just didn't want to acknowledge that at the time because I know that gay people are going to hell. That was step three. So I never talked to her about it, never mentioned it, never talked to anyone about it. I instead joined uh, Bible college right after high school. So I said, okay, I'm going to be a youth pastor. I'm going to make a difference in this world, and I'm going to dive right in. And so like many of us who have been in ministry and have also been a part of the LGBTQ um, community, you dive into ministry, and you go head in, and you just give it your all. Because if you do that, it'll keep you busy enough to not have to think about a void. And that was me. But I was living a double life, and at this point, I actually was really good at it. And some of you guys can say, oh, I know what that's like. You actually become crafted at this double life thing. Like, it is so, you're so talented at it, you have convinced yourself that is not you. Right? And so, I remember in Bible college, I was crazy. I was doing wild things on the side and coming to school and just reading the, through the Bible. Like, you know, going through the motions. I was hungover. I got a phone call, and I'm going to date myself. I didn't have a cell phone because they weren't real available. <laughs> I had a home line, a landline. So the phone kept ringing. And you have to answer that mug because you can't put it on silence. <laughs> right? Some of y'all are like, yeah, I remember those days. And some of you are like, I, did, I don't remember any of that actually, Aaron, because I, you know, I'm, I'm a tech savvy. <laughs> so I pick up the phone after like the third call and I get this urgent elder black woman on the other end, she is, uh, she would come into my, some of my classes and talk to some of the students sometimes. She said, Aaron, I need you to meet me at the church. It's urgent. And I was like, oh, okay, great. I, my head hurts. I don't want to go. She said, I have to see you today. You have to get there. I've been trying to call you. You have to get there. And so I said, all right, I'll get in my car and head over there. So it's her and I were sitting in this sanctuary and she's looking at me and she grabs both my hands and she says, I had a vision of you. I need to tell you it. And I looked at her like, oh God, please don't tell me it's you saw my husband. 
because I had heard that one for detail. Like, oh, he is tall with red hair. <laughs> and he's just going to love you so much. <laughs> so then I started seeing red hair dudes come to the church. And I was like, oh, snap. Oh, snap. Right? I got to avoid him. <laughs> she said, I see you. There's all these little black kids surrounding you, running around you, and they're smiling at you, and they're grabbing up at you. And I only, I only see that, but I see you speaking in crowds of people. And I'm like 19. I'm like, okay, woman, you don't know what I did last night. And you don't know I'm gay. And she was so, like, in my face, like holding my hands and saying, there's so much for you. Don't quit. Don't give up. And I looked at her, and I remember just sitting there, and she, she prayed with me. She said, you have to hear what I'm saying. There's so much more. You don't quit. Don't give up. She left. And I sat in the sanctuary, and I was like, God, none of that makes any sense. But something, I shoved it down inside of me. I'm like, God, this doesn't make sense. The very next morning, I get a phone call from a fellow classmate, and she says, Aaron, I've got some bad news. Claudia passed away in a car accident this morning. And I stood there. And I was like, wait, I mean, I just saw her yesterday. And I was shook, I was shook. And I remember going to her funeral thinking, okay, wait, it was urgent. This is something that God wanted for me to hear. It had to be. And I was broken. But instead, I, I shoved that down and I just started doing ministry. Because that's always fun to do when you're broken. <laughs> so I just got head on involved. Like I was running a youth group. I was going after youth ministry. I had been in youth ministry. At this point, come now to step number five. And that was... I was heading up a youth ministry, it was my third one, and I saw this fine girl. She was a redhead. <laughs> in San Francisco, and I said, oh, you must be the one that was in that, that prophecy. They just had the, the gender wrong, I see you, All right? So I walk up to her, I'm talking to her, I'm still a youth pastor, mind you, in a very conservative town. I'm talking to her, and she, like, mesmerizes me, and I'm like, okay, there ain't no way I'm going back to youth ministry after seeing this one. I'm, I'm going to have to let it go. My mother, black gospel singer, traveled all around the world, as long as a God, Pentecostal background. I went to her, and I said, Mom, I've got to tell you something. She said, what? What, girl? What's going on? Well, I met this girl, and I... I think I'm gay. What? First was the re first reaction. My running joke with my family is I had to come out to my mom 11 times. <laughs> Every single time I said, Mom, I'm gay. What, girl? You ain't gay? I know what your husband looks like, right? Like old school Southern Black Baptist background. I'm like, we'd be sitting there like years later, Mom, you know, I like women. What, girl? What are you trying to say to me right now? The same thing I said to you 11 times. All right? 2005, I remember the look on my mom's face, and this was all seriousness at this point, and it was heartbreak but rejection. 
my father, white dude, like liberal white dude, like a brother on the inside, right? He's like, oh, okay, uh, you know, let's just, uh, we'll talk about it later. That's my dad. Like my dad still has like an Obama plate mounted somewhere, right? <laughs> my mom was like, oh no, this is Satan's plan to destroy you. I don't accept this. I packed up all my stuff and I moved to Philly because that's where she relocated and so did I. I left youth ministry. I left my mom at the doorstep. She then proceeded to have uh, every Tuesday night a prayer group of women praying for my deliverance, uh, meeting together every single Tuesday, praying for me to be healed. That relationship was terrible. <laughs> it went all bad and I had to leave Philly and I came back home and my mom was like, oh, that was just Jesus's work. And it, that's what I heard often. Like God was answering prayers. The miserable experience that I went through was totally God allowing my heart to be broken. And these are the things that I heard from my mother. Step six. 2013, I took a youth group to Uganda, of all places. We got there. I remember just take, being taken back by the streets and everything. Went a little ahead. I left all that, and then once I came back and I was, you know, healed, um, forgot to tell you guys that uh, all the pastors wanted me to do ministry again because I was a healed person. Uh, and I also had my whole family go in together and get me an eHarmony account, and I was dating a whole bunch of people at the time. And I would be like, hey, you want to go on a date? Yeah, okay, so we go, let's take a picture. And then I would just use that picture as like a decoy for a long time, like, oh, no, this is who I've been dating, see? And I had this one dude that I was like talking to for a long time, and he was in the military, and like he was deployed, and everyone was like, Aaron, is that hard for you? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to get through it. And really, I'm just so thankful he left. Like, I could just talk about him all day. Oh, I'm seeing this guy. He's deployed. <laughs> and all of my girlfriends are like, I just don't know how you, that's real love. I'm like, yeah. Right? 2013, sorry, I forgot that part. Uganda, here I am on this bus. We arrive at this orphanage, and I get off the bus. And I will never forget it. I step off the steps. This is like decades away from 19 years old. I step off the steps and um, these children just start running towards me. All these little faces smiling, reaching up towards me. And I remember her explaining this red dirt road that was surrounding these children. And I stood there, and I, at the time, I was in my, my mid-30s, and I'm standing there looking, and all these kids are staring around me, and I'm looking around, and they're just like reaching up to me and smiling and saying, Masumba, Masumba, which means pastor. We love you. I'm still gay, by the way, at this point. Just nobody knows it. I'm looking around, and I'm like, this is the, this was the vision. This was the don't give up. This was don't stop. This is, this is the moment. And it just shook me to my core. I kept going back to Uganda after that. 2016, 
Live on Purpose Community Church was born in my garage. The reason why is because I thought it would fail and I was good with that. Okay, God, you want me to start a church? I'm not really wanting to start a church because I'm gay and I don't want to be secret about it no more. I'm tired of this. He's like, no, no, you're going to start a church and you're going to be authentically you. You see that the words that were spoken to you at 19, you might have thought this whole time that it was not obtainable because of you being gay, but it was always obtainable because of it. Uganda was just one of the only nations in the world that you can get arrested or murdered for being gay. And we're in the process of getting land to open up an education center in Uganda. Live on purpose. So it was the Orlando shootings that took place, and it was the night before. I got a text from a friend who lived in Orlando, and he's like, Aaron, uh, there's a bad, bad thing just happened down the street. Have you looked at the news? And I looked at it, and I, I remember that night, I was already thinking, okay, God, I need to tell my members that I'm gay, because I opened this church in January. We're affirming. We love everybody, but nobody knows I'm also the one you love. <laughs> but I knew I had to. Not only that, but I had to live in my truth with my mother. So I wrote this whole statement. I was like, hey, I didn't sleep that night. I announced to the members of the church, there's going to be a meeting after church. If you'd like to stay behind, it'd be important to hear. So then I get up and I read this letter to my members and I'm shaking and I don't, like I'm not a nervous speaker. Like I don't know what it is, if that's just like something in me that's just not right, but I'm just like cool when I speak. But that morning I was shaking and I was nervous and I felt like I was gonna have like a breakdown. I read it and I said, I stood back and I said, if any of you feel you need to leave this place, I understand. I get it, it's okay. And every single member said, no, we're sticking here. We're staying. We believe in what this church is going to do. And we don't have a gay church. Matter of fact, I would never want one. Like, we will never have, like, a big rainbow flag, like, hanging outside the window and someone standing there like this. We just want a church for all people. Broken baggage, because we're all messy and nasty at the end of the day. Every single member said, I'm here. I'm staying. My mother came up and held me and hugged me and said, I love you. I'm so proud of you. My mom is now one of the biggest activists or allies in my life. Yeah, my mother. Every single woman that was a part of her every single Tuesday prayer night have now turned their back on her because she chose to love me. Every single friend that she accumulated throughout all of those years of traveling all over the world, not a one has stood by her side. This is this year. My mother shows me that sometimes you have to lose everything to gain everything. So it leads me to this. Here, this last step, why I'm here this morning with you. And that is... We all have dreams within us. 
The Uganda dream that I have is totally coming to fruition and we are in the process of getting that done and getting a coffee farm so we can mobilize the communities around it and allow people in the villages to have income. And also we are sponsoring different students who have been dropped by a lot of these uh, you know, sponsorship um, for, for children, for orphans. When they're not cute anymore, it's not so cool to put on your fridge and be like, oh, that's my kid. So we have a lot of like 14, 15, 16 year olds who've been dropped and we say, no, we still believe in the dream that God gave you and we will stand beside you with it and we are doing it in Uganda. All of my connections except for five, and I had a lot of them at the time because I had built a very strong base of networking in Uganda. I was working alongside the assistant of the president of Uganda. I was doing different things inside of communities with Uganda, with clinics and medical outreach and drill, uh, water wells and things as such. All those people have now turned their back, except for five or six. Six is, he's he kind of he like discreetly on my side, <laughs> right? But we're still going, we're still pursuing. Never give up. God gave a lot of dreams to different people and I believe he's doing that with you this morning. So I wanna speak this word of encouragement to you before I'm done and pass the mic. God gave Noah a dream to build an ark. In these stories, we find God speaking and things happening through people that he spoke to. Abraham, the dream of having a son. Joseph, the dream of leading his people. Nehemiah, the dream of building a wall around Jerusalem. All these people he built dreams inside of. And this morning, right where you're at, there is a dream that God is building in you. And he's been doing it for a long time. And maybe this morning I came out here for this very moment to say, don't give up. Don't quit. Keep chasing it. Keep going after it. Keep living in the hope that it is manageable, it's obtainable. Don't quit. Those dreams that he's given you, that are speaking to you right now, right now, in your being, are telling you to wake up from your sleep. Take some steps in your life to start to chase after these dreams that you know are meant to happen because they were put in you. I don't care if it was like last month. I don't care if it was like five years ago. Whatever it is, that is something that was like put inside you. It was placed in you to fulfill and you've, you've talked yourself out of it for a long time, but I'm here this morning to tell you don't give up. Don't quit. Keep going. It starts with a dream. It starts with a dream that has been poured into you. And it starts with you. Amen. Each episode of the Central Cast is followed by an interactive discussion. If you'd like to participate in recordings, or if you're interested in exploring progressive faith and theology for a postmodern context, check out centralavenuechurch.org. Here's this week's unedited discussion.
give me them questions. If, I don't know if there is any, but. Well, I can, I can start. Yeah? Could you talk a little more about how your faith evolved? Yeah. Um, you know, from the way you grew up to where you're at now uh, in, your, in your journey? Um, specifically, I was in my pastor at the time, um, who no longer speaks to me, by the way. Uh, he uh, was giving away a bunch of books, and he said, Aaron, go check out a bunch of these books that I have. You can have them. And I said, okay, cool. So I, as a youth pastor, you know, I was obedient. And uh, I grabbed the box, and I put a bunch of books in it. And one of them was Velvet Elvis and from Rob Bell. And I took it home and put it in my garage. And then there was one day, it was like literally like six months later, I walked past it and I looked at the cover. I was like, that's a really cool cover. It's real artsy. Let me check the book out. Um, picked it up and I didn't stop reading it that day outside in my, my backyard. And it started to challenge um, everything that I, I thought I knew. Uh, just the concept of if you pull a brick out, the foundation falls, or if, if, you, if faith is something that is obtainable through bouncing it off of, of one another. Um, so that one blew my mind. I just kind of internalized that, but I then started researching secretly. I was like a top secret detective. Nobody knew. Um, and it started challenging me. And it really, honestly, I would say even two years ago, the old um, Aaron would probably knock the crap out of this one. Like, you are blasphemous. You are a heretic. Uh, it, it was definitely the life experience of seeing all of those things that I had studied for so many years come to life when I came out and I got married to my wife and I got completely ostracized by people that I've done ministry with for 20 some odd years. It challenged me to my core, but I was thankful that I had done all that secret detective research because I was okay in here. So it was gradual, but definitely more so the past few years. Yeah. Um, so I have a question. Um, I actually used to live in Uganda myself. Right. Well, right now we're trying to go about it through uh, creating open doors for trade and education and being very delicate with that because I just came out in uh, 2016 and so all of my connections in Uganda just found this out. And so we're trying to keep the door open by going in and, and utilizing the, the connections we have with education. And eventually, I'd like to connect with a couple of groups in Kampala that are for LGBTQ uh, youth. But right now, it's like we're, we're kind of slow dancing around until we can actually have a foundation there. Yes? How has your You know, I, I said this a couple of times. I think I even mentioned it to you yesterday, uh, Pastor Aaron, that my mom's rejection and her having to go through that pain has been more hurtful for me to experience than, than even my own, because she's not even gay, <laughs> you know. She's been through it. It's been hard, very emotional. My mom's a social butterfly. If you meet her, you're like, this woman is like, she's on fire. Like, she is just awesome. So everyone loves my mom. Um, it's been very hard and lonely. Uh, but she went to GCN, which is now QCF, with me this past year, which is mind-blowing. Um, so here I am with my mom hugging all these people, and I'm like, this is my mom? <laughs> so she has now made it very, a very strong effort in creating a community 
with other parents who have gone through the same thing. And so she just started a, a sector of mama bears in Northern California, which is based, basically parents coming in, mothers coming in who have been also rejected by the church to kind of love each other. So she's starting over and she's in her late 60s. So it's a lot of start over, a lot of start over. So that's what she's doing. She's creating little moments of, of community now, but definitely a journey. Any other questions? I just want to know if your wife has red hair. No, she doesn't, but she's bad, though. <laughs> she's blonde. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah, um, obviously, you don't, you don't, you can only get into this as, as much as you're comfortable, and you might have been intentional. But um, you did such a good job of thinking us through your story. All those little blips in between, probably in the moment, were the opposite. Yeah. Um, are there were there any moments you know in those conversations with your family um, or with your pastor or you know you you have this beautiful way about you that you just keep us at ease as you really talk through these things that were probably just utterly devastating and life changing. Yeah. Um, are there any of them more than any others that made you think or made you you know yeah. obviously confidence you. Well, I was always kind of hard-headed and stubborn, so like that was always there. Um, and that was also stubborn with God as well. Like we had massive battles. Um, but no, there was a lot of pain in between those stories. Um, and uh, one particular, I was, I finally came out to my best friend who was in Bible college at Lee University. And um, she stopped returning my phone calls, and I got a letter, typed up letter in the mail, um, that pretty much told me I was going to go to hell, and that she didn't want to communicate with me anymore. And I remember taking that letter, and I read it probably 10, 15 times over and over. This is my best friend. We went to youth group together, we traveled around, she sung, and I would speak at different places, like, deep. I took the, the letter with me, and I drove to a bridge. And I was parked outside of a bridge, and I said, God, I don't want to live. I don't want to live. And I had to talk myself out of doing anything else. That was a moment. I had a pastor. Actually, I've been laid off often from youth, uh, being a youth pastor. And uh, I would have, like, super successful youth groups. It was beautiful. Like, we had, like, hundred kids all the time. Like, we were just awesome at every youth group I've been at. Like, our kids were great. But I'd have a, a moment with a pastor, and they're looking at me, and then, like, a couple weeks later, I'd get laid off because of finances in the church. Come to find out later, you know, hindsight, oh, there is reasons why you got laid off, girl. <laughs> I had one pastor. He um, had a despise for gay people, and we actually had a staff meeting based primarily on um, how disgusting the lifestyle was and we have to do something to combat it in our church. And I was sitting there the whole time quiet and he was just staring at me, saying things that were very hateful and hurtful. And I remember sitting there thinking this, I, I don't know, I'm about to break down. That was another moment. Especially when there was so much beautiful things happening with my, my kids, you know. So yeah, definitely, definitely wasn't like an easy journey, but I tell you what, now 
I'm, you know, and when I stand in front of my congregation, I can see people's hearts, and I, I'm thankful to be through that, because because of that, I'm able to, to talk to people a little bit about their situation more. So I don't take it away, but yeah, the steps, they're just little glimpses. You're right. Any other questions? Yes. Um, I'm going to take you to a specific space, if you would, if I, if I can paint a picture really quick of my, mo my moment of turning away from God and, and literally turning right back to him. <laughs> I was, uh, so the, the redhead that I got caught up with when I moved to Philly, um, she was Buddhist, right? And so she, you know, she was respecting me, I was respecting her, but at the time, like, I'm already going to hell by dating you, girl. Not even because you are a girl, you are Buddhist, and I'm dating you. <laughs> Like, that's where I was at, like, this is a bad situation. You got all types of spirits around you, you know? So, I remember we were at her loft apartment, and this, um, where it was a snowy day in Philly, and um, there were sirens and everything, and at this time, I had stopped talking to God, because I knew God knew what I was doing, and I just couldn't talk to him, because I was so guilt-ridden. I didn't want to have a conversation with God, because of what was taught to me. But I remember, and this was like maybe a year into the relationship, I hadn't gone to church anymore. I was, there was like this deep emptiness in me. I've always loved Jesus. When I was a little girl, I would go under my bed and I would just, I would just talk to God. So I was like always kind of like knitted in my fabric. So it was almost like I was having an affair by having this relationship, not because it was a gay one. It just, it kept me from him, kept me from God. And so I... I remember this, this little kid was drug out of this house, not breathing. It was like a two-year-old toddler. And they were trying to resuscitate the baby in front of us. And we're like looking down at this. This is very detailed. I'm sorry if it's a, uh, sensitive. Um, we're literally looking down. And mind you, it's been a year since I talked to God at this point. We're looking down at this child being like the, the ambulance and everything. They were trying to save his life. And my ex at the time... Uh, was just bawling, crying, bawling, crying. And I remember looking at her and looking down, and I just, I just remember, like, God. I lifted my hand towards that, and I just started praying over the little boy. And it didn't matter that I hadn't talked to God in so long. And I remember that night, she said, I want whatever it is that you have, because that was crazy. I'd never seen that before. I ended up praying with her that night. I'm thinking, what is going on? Now I'm praying to God, and I'm praying with this girl who's Buddhist that I'm living with. So I stopped following God for a, a year. It wasn't until something happened where something in my being knew, oh, I, there, there has to be hope here, even if it's just hope that she can register. And I knew the source of hope. So that turned things around for me. <laughs> 